Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is March 10th, 2012. Happy Shabbat or Sabbath to those who understand they need to um, keep the Sabbath day holy as God commands us to do in the Bible. And I'm going to talk about today, this has been, for some reason, been thinking about this lately, about uh, prophecy and the end times and so forth, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm 46 years old, and I'm starting to see things that I really never have seen before uh, in my lifetime in, in reference to the economy, the world economy, not just the United States economy, uh, people's attitudes, um, world news. You know, everything seems to be getting to a point where there's going to be some real tough times ahead of us, and I have to speak about them. Not to say that you're going to be able to escape and and go to heaven like all the deceived, raptured believers think, but to prepare for tough times if you're still going to be alive during these prophesied tough times, and you need to prepare for it, just like Noah did. Let's turn to uh, Hebrews. Hebrews. And before I do that, i got to adjust my headpiece here. I'll, I'll be right back. Okay, sorry about that. Turn to Hebrews. Now, this Bible study today, I'm really going to talk about some, I hope to be, I know it is to me, but some common sense things here. And I'm going to talk about a topic that most people don't care about, don't think about, but you should. The fact that since um, August 6th of 1945, we have actually had an atomic bomb. Actually, they're hydrogen bombs now. And I I don't think too many people understand (laughs) uh, the significance of that. 
So I'm going to talk about that today in a way perhaps that I've never talked about, in a way that I have not talked about it before. And I hope that you come to the conclusion that we're living in very dangerous times today. With the media and entertainment, it is designed to allow us not to think clearly about common sense things, things that should encourage us to obey God. And I was doing some Bible study by or reading uh, some of Tim Hicks' uh, material from TorahResource.com about prophecy. And he's correct uh, in reference to saying that, you know, prophecy is not something you just totally study, just primarily to figure out when the end times are here or uh, the exact time of uh, Yeshua's coming, as we're going we're gonna to go over Matthew chapter 24 today. Because I, I really believe it's something that is timely. Well, it's t- it was timely for every era. But that prophecy, <clears throat> the premise of that prophecy is when is the time of your coming? Okay, uh, when, when when will you come? And what's the uh, the time of the end? So the prophecy was written and inspired by God for us to understand that he's in control of everything and that in any era that you're living in, you need to be doing what you're supposed to do because none of us know when we're going to die. So the end times can be your time of end. But it's also talking about a condition of the world at the time that Yeshua or Jesus will come back as well. So we all, in every era of man, any believer should be doing all he or she can to uh, encourage God to give you the gift of uh, immortality. So like I said, anyone can die at any time. So you, you have to be cognizant or you have to be aware of your time of end as well. And I think, especially when these false prophets preach, they don't preach that or tell you that, that you can't wait for a specific event or a date to say, okay, now it's time for me to get my act together. Now it's time for me to obey. Although some people will, I'm sure, based on the scriptures and the prophecies, will use events, if they're lucky enough to still be alive, to repent. But for those who have been taught correctly, and they just throw all this information aside, and they're just going to wait until a specific event, like, say, for instance, when, because it looks like it's going to happen unless a miracle happens. That's the only time it's not going to happen. It appears right now. It looks like um, the media is getting everyone prepared for this attack that looks like it may happen on Iran. Now, I want you to understand something. The Bible does not say that if Israel or the United States attack Iran, it's a tribulation event. It's a great tribulation. It doesn't say that. That's something that has been brainwashed um, 
among believers certain events. Sure, you look for an event, and and, in Matthew chapter 24, it tells you what that event is, and, and Luke 21 and Mark. And the event that we all, if we're still fortunate to be alive at this time, or, or unfortunate, to whatever way you want to look at it. Uh, <laughs> when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, that's the time to flee. You don't wait until he puts an idol or some people interpret it as him himself standing in the holy temple or whatever. But when you look at Revelation chapter 13, obviously there's some kind of statue that is going to be built, and the devil is going to make this statue move. That's what it. That's what it appears. It says in Revelation chapter thirteen. But anyway, I'm going to show you today that the event that we all need to be looking for, in addition to the temple being built, and when the temple's built, then you know we 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 if we're still alive and if we need events and see, Yeshua said it himself. Let me let me turn to John because he knows how we are. Well, first let me turn to Hebrews. I was going to quote that scripture about uh, Noah. I'm hoping this Bible study to be a heart-to-heart here to to hopefully, if you're not already woke up, to wake you up more about the reality of our times here. Because, you know, we live in the social media world now and high technology, uh, sports events. Uh, we look at movies and, and so And these things take us away from the reality of our world. Just like I was uh, in preparation of this Bible study today, I was looking at war and going to read a little bit about some facts about war that we're still warring to this day. And one one of the things that is very significant is that when there's no active military environment in a country, then that's considered peace. And that's not really the definition of peace, folks. Uh, just because the military is not over here blowing people's brains out doesn't mean that the United States is at peace. Are we at peace? You hear on the news quite often about family conflicts and someone blowing their brains out because they got into an argument with their wife or uh, the husband killing up the family. Uh, I-, I can just go on and on and on. That's not peace, folks. What's the the definition of peace? Well, let me get my synonym finder book and look up peace. I know many people in this country think we're at peace. We're not at peace. Peace. I'm going to read a lot of words here. It says, Peacefulness, warlessness, non-war, lack of war for absence of conflict or hostilities. Do we have an absence of conflict and hostilities in this country or in the world? What's a conflict? I believe this, you believe that, we disagree, we argue. That's a conflict. Peace also means to be in harmony. Symphony, concordance, goodwill, brotherhood, fellowship, unity, oneness. Do we have that in this country? Do we have this around the world? 
Certainly not, if you want to be honest with yourself. So there's no peace. There has not been peace since Cain killed Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. This is what we all need to be doing if we're still alive, which we are. For those who are listening to me, you're still alive. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. So, now, Luke chapter 17, Yeshua compared the time of his coming to the days of Noah. Okay, so let's understand that in the context of understanding this. Okay? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Because I hear, I understand uh, when people preach, okay, prophecy is not uh, to get you to be so paranoid about everything. I agree. However, let's have a balanced approach about it. Why did God have the prophets write about future history? That's what prophecy is. Because those who are living in the time that he talked about, he desires for you to be warned about those things. Hold your place here and let's turn to the book of Revelation. Starting in the first chapter here. There's the purpose of prophecy. The book of Revelation is a summation of all the prophecy of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Very simple statement, if you understand English. Revelation is information that you didn't have that is revealed to you. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, which in Revelation 19 states that is the spirit or mind of prophecy, understanding prophecy, that's the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So he wants you to read aloud. I just realized that. He wants you to read aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. Hebraically means understand. And who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Which puts the timing of understanding this book. Because the time was not certainly near worldwide in the first century when this book was written. However, the time is near for anyone. It could be near any time. Okay? Uh, let me explain. We all can die tomorrow. Some of us could die tomorrow. We don't know. And so because we don't know the time of our individual end, we need to always be fervent and we need to 
to stick with the scriptures and obey the scriptures to the best of our ability. We can't wait to a specific event or time to start taking God seriously. I hope I'm making myself very clear. Prophecy, the primary purpose of prophecy, yeah, sure, is to warn us, to do what we need to do, but we need to primarily obey the Lord God. That's the reason why prophecy, the primary reason for prophecy, is to encourage us to obey God in whatever area you're living in. That's the purpose of prophecy, because your end can come any time. That's the proper way of understanding that versus this rapture stuff, you know. Uh, oh, he can come any time, and then we can be whipped off to heaven, and then we see everyone else is suffering, and we're okay. That's not the, the, the proper way of understanding that. The proper way of understanding your individual end is that it can happen any time. So because of that, you need to always be on guard, always be on watch. Many people have incorrectly interpreted Luke chapter 21, verse 34 to 36, to talk about just the world and world conditions and, and so forth. It's also talking about you in particular. You need to watch and pray so that you can escape all these things. Now, the escape could be if you're fortunate enough to be one of the few uh, that are going to be taken to a physical place of safety that's revealed in Revelation chapter 12, that's fine. But even if you're not, you can escape these things by God mercifully allowing you to die. Uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter uh, 57 to help you understand that. This is not going to be a piece of cake, folks. Uh, we're not going to all have it easy. And even if you are, I'm going to read that section in Revelation chapter 12. It talks about fleeing. That's not going to be a piece of cake either. I mean, you're going to be chased by the devil's army, the elite of the world, okay? The, the elite of the military. And it's not going to be a piece of cake. Isaiah chapter 57, beginning in verse 1. says, The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devote men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. And now he enters into peace. That's true peace. And they rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. So that's another way of escaping as well. Uh, I know people don't want to think of that way, but you know, based on the scriptures, that's a nice way to leave. And we have to be willing to to entertain the possibility of escaping that way as well. Ever since the first sin was committed by man, the curse of, of that sin is suffering. And we're going to have to suffer to make it into the kingdom of God. Uh, let me find the scripture where it states that. And any religion, any preacher that's preaching to you saying that you have it easy now because you've been baptized and and everything is uh, clean sailing from here because you have the Lord, that's not true. That's, that's certainly not true, and, and they're not preaching to you what they need to be preaching. So let's see. I'm trying to find the scripture where it says, through much tribulation we will enter the kingdom of God. Let's see. Here we go. Yeah, Acts 14, verse 22. 
Acts 14, verse 22. I'm going to read this in the King James Version. Acts 14. Acts 14, the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 22. Confirming the souls of disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faithful to trust and that we must, through much tribulation, or you can interpret that as great tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God, which flesh and blood cannot enter into. So that tells you right there, it's a spiritual realm or dimension that we can't enter unless we go through much tribulation. Now, what does tribulation mean? Let's look at the original Greek and find out. It means anguish, affliction, persecution, trouble. And see, people don't, who call themselves believers, they don't want to entertain this thought. They don't want to accept what the scriptures say about living this way of life. But this way of life, and people don't understand me. My family, my physical family does not understand me, and I think my spiritual family don't understand my life and what I've had to go through. I've gone through much affliction, anguish, persecution, and trouble. So I fit the definition of this perfectly. And anyone else that follows Yeshua will go through much anguish, affliction, persecution, and trouble. All you can do is ask my wife. She'll laugh. She knows that I've gone through much anguish, persecution, affliction, and trouble because her being one with me, she goes through it along with me. Okay, so uh, I want, I desire, and, and Elohim desires for you to understand that this is not going to be a piece of cake. And any minister that has told you that it will does not know what he is talking about, or in some cases she. All right, so you need to understand that. Now let's review the scripture again. This is a very significant scripture for you to understand. I'm going to read this in a complete Jewish Bible version. Strengthening the Talmudim, or the disciples. That's what Talmudim means in Hebrew. Encouraging them to remain true to the faith and reminding them that it is through many hardships, which is a better way of saying it, many hardships that we must enter, must, must enter the kingdom of God. So that's what you have to understand when you read prophetic scriptures. Realize that we're not going to escape problems and troubles. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. starting in verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman is the congregation or commonwealth of Israel and those who are attached to the commonwealth of Israel. 
the believers of Yeshua Messiah. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. We don't know where, but there is some place to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. That's three and a half years. The serpent poured water like a river. Now, see, is this a piece of cake here? He's going after these believers. There, there, there's, a, there's a battle here going on, okay? It says, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away like a flood. So it's not going to be a piece of cake even when you're going to be uh, miraculously protected by God. <laughs> you're going to have to flee. You're going to have to run. Is that easy? Running? For a lot of fat folks that may be listening to me, is not, okay? But I, I know even if you're not fat, you can be the world's greatest athlete. Running can hurt, okay? It's, it's, it's not a something that can be pleasurable, running at times. But I can tell you, the kind of fleeing you're going to be doing here, you're going to be running for your life. It says, but the earth came, and I know a lot of false ministers, they say, well, this is Israel. No, it's not just Israel, folks. Let's let's find out who this is at the, the last sentence of this uh, prophecy here, or future history. Verse 16, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. So obviously there's some minor earthquake here to help those who are worthy to escape all these things in that context as far as you know the actual events happening and you're still alive at the time. Verse 17, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now here's the description of the woman. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So these are what these false ministers have done. They have uh, eisegesis this and stated that the woman is Israel, the Jews. And these are Jews being uh, taken to a place of safety. Is that what it says, folks? Is that what it says? No. The Bible interpretation of the woman are those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And that can be anyone, any human being, that will obey Yeshua. Ephesians chapter 2 proves that. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, which is the what is called the New Testament. I don't like that phrase describing the apostolic scriptures, um, as that's or the renewed covenant scriptures. That's what it really should be called. Built on the apostolic scriptures and the prophetic scriptures which is the is another uh, Jewish idiom, meaning the, the scriptures, the Tanakh. Christ himself being the cornerstone. All right? So the assembly of God, which 
church was the Greek word that was actually the English word used for um, assembly. That it really means assembly, the assembly of God. It's consisted of anyone who believes that Yeshua is King Messiah. So it's not going to be a piece of cake, folks, either way. And like I said, the purpose of this Bible study is to help you understand what the end of time is. Are we living in the end of time or the end times according to how the Bible describes what the end time is going to be like? So that that's the purpose of this Bible study. Um, I'm just going to go over a little bit about some significant or could be some significant world events here to help us prepare, as Noah did. And we always need to be prepared. Uh, there's a scripture that uh, says this here. See if I can find it here. I think it's in Proverbs. And just like you know, common sense to tell us, if we can, we should be able to save money for any type of uh, problems that may occur. Well, the same thing if you're hearing, I mean, look, the Katrina situation, okay? <laughs> that motivated me. When I saw that, when I saw how the government didn't help those poor folks, that motivated me to get some emergency food and everything just in case that something, that something like that happens right here in Ohio. I'll be prepared. Instead of waiting on the government to take all day to, to feed me, I'll have some food. And even FEMA, the government's uh, emergency um, organization tells you to be always prepared. Always be prepared. So this is something that should be common sense to anyone anyway. So uh, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, the clever, and this is what I'm trying to encourage you to be, folks, to be clever, okay? Let's be clever about this. The clever see trouble coming. What kind of trouble do we see coming? If you've been listening to my program, and if you haven't, I encourage you to listen to the, the, the previous program that I had and the program about the Middle East and Bible prophecy so that you get up to date of what's going on in the world right now and the major things that are going on in the world. And what, what's the major thing that's going on in the world right now? Do you know? Well, the major thing that's going on in the world right now is this economic crisis that uh, has really, well, 2008, really, it really got bad, but it's been going on for a long time now. And the United States is the world's largest debtor nation. And we're the, the richest nation, and yet we have the largest gap of inequality of all nations. And what I mean by that, there's more rich people in this country, that have more, uh, they have more resources than poor people, and there's a wide gap between that in this country. And I, I've spoken to you um, before on previous broadcasts that the all the countries in the world prior to the year 1800 were around the same as far as their gross domestic product or their as the consumption of goods and, and products for each nation. 
But when we started with the invention of the steamboat by the British Commonwealth, that started technology started to bridge a gap between certain countries. And technology, I mean, there's good things about it, but the bad thing about it is that it, it, it caused people to start thinking about being a farmer, having their own grocery store. That's what people did prior to the 1800s. They had their own grocery stores by being a farmer. You didn't have to go to a store to get your meats. You killed lambs and cooked them yourself. Okay, you, you did things yourself. That's what a farmer does. And we lost that ability to take care of our families the natural way. Now we have to depend on grocery stores. We have to go to grocery stores. That's that's when, when, when this economy falls, and I don't need to be a prophet to tell you this, but it's common sense. When the economy falls, people who have no money are not going to be able to go to the grocery stores. And those that do have money, they're going to be going to the grocery stores to get all the food that they can because they know it's going to run out. Because when you have an economic crisis like we have right now where we're printing money out of thin air, meaning that the United States Treasury Department is printing money that is not backed up by any silver or gold because we are in debt. We're probably around, when we include the entitlement programs and everything else, we're about $200 trillion in debt. Of course, politicians are not going to tell you that. But you can look that up on the Internet if you want. And Google, $200 trillion, United States, $200 trillion in debt. That's our true debt. And there's really no way we're going to come out of that with the way politicians uh, govern themselves and how they suggest other people govern themselves. There's no way we're going to come out of that. And then the number one reason why we're not going to come out of that because we don't we don't obey God. We don't care about what God says about anything, especially those financial matters. And so anyway, we're just printing money because United States currency is the world's number one currency. And so we're just printing money out of thin air. We can just do it just to, just to do it because all the nations depend on it. But there's people saying that eventually the United States currency is going to be abandoned. And then all that printing money out of thin air, what that does is cause inflation, is increasing the money supply, as Ron Paul has correctly written about in his book, which I suggest you get called In the Fed. He's a presidential candidate. I don't know how long that's going to last, him being a presidential candidate, but looks like Romney might get it. So, unless a miracle happens. But the thing is, uh, that's our situation right now. And then, when you increase the money supply, prices will go up. And then a loaf of bread would be 25 or $50 a loaf. And so that's, that's, and so you have to, look, you can't look at married with housewives, whatever the stupid thing is, and, and all these other silly programs that take your mind off from reality. And the reality is that things may be going well for you right now 
But I tell you right now, based on the prophecies, it won't be going well for anyone eventually. I can't predict a date or an event. That's not in the Bible. But I can tell you, based on the prophecies, that's that's what's going to happen. And see, what we have to understand, did I quote the, script, the whole scripture? It says, the clever sees trouble coming and hide. And this is in your Bibles, okay? Proverbs 22, verse 3, the clever see trouble and they hide. They, they prepare for these things. And, and what I'm trying to do, because I know, you know, some of you may be, uh, you know, everything's okay because everything's okay with me. I have a job and I, and I go there and I get my paycheck and I assume that I'm continuing to get my paycheck and I assume everything's going to be okay because God loves me. Well, that's true in a sense, but God wants you to do this. The clever sees trouble coming and hide. So it's something we have to do to prepare to hide. Said so the simple go on and pay the penalty. He doesn't want you to go on and be simple-minded. Simple-minded, you just sit up here and just believe everything that CNN tells you and, and all these other media outlets that are controlled by the, the Council of Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission, and you probably don't know who those folks are. And if you don't, you need to type in on your computer while still, you still can use your computer on the Internet, CFR and Trilateral Commission. You need to go to Infowars.com. Alex Jones does a good job of, of, of talking about stuff that most people don't want to talk about. You need to go to uh, YouTube, type in, what are those videos about? The Obama deception, and then also, uh, what's the other one? Uh, the um, the fall of the republic. Type in the fall of the republic, uh, the Obama deception. Uh, what's the other movies? Uh, the uh, The New World Order. The New World Order. The Invisible Empire. Yeah, th those are free videos that God has used this man to to give you factual information about what what uh, really the context of this Bible study is that it is truly the end times. And when you look at movies like that, you'll see that it is. And these movies are free. You don't have to pay a dime for it. Just go to YouTube and educate yourself without having to read a book. Okay. God's making it easy for you, easy for you to to uh, to understand what I'm talking about here, to understand that we are living in the end times. But, again, like I said, we don't know what our time of end is individually, but we are living in the end times. There's no doubt as to, you know, I'm going to state some certain facts here to show you that we are living in the time of the end. But I can't, just like Yeshua, he doesn't know the day or the hour of his coming. I'm not going to pretend to know either. And any so-called prophet that tells you that they know, they're a false prophet. Because the greatest prophet that live don't know. So what makes you think they're going to know? Okay? So let's let's use common sense here. And I know that, well, let me turn to another scripture here and, because you, you you have to understand what disobeying God does to your mind. Jeremiah 51. Verse 7. 
Now, Jeremiah 51 is lined up with the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation, even though Babylon was destroyed, right, back in what? During the, um, before the first, before the uh, first century, of course, uh, Babylon is going to be destroyed again. So that prophecy is dual, future history is dual, okay? Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 7. It says, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunk. Now, you've seen somebody, and I've seen someone being drunk. Okay, he's not talking about literally drunk, although probably in this case, too, he's talking about people that are drunk physically. But he's talking drunk spiritually. Well, you, you can't understand God's words. You don't understand what I'm telling you. Because you got your mind wrapped up in American Idol and all these other silly shows that it's not going to do anything to encourage you to obey God. You know, there's nothing wrong with looking at a little television, but you, you, everything should be done in moderation. And unfortunately, we Americans especially love our entertainment too much. Too much to the point of where we throw God away. Get away from me. But this is what this causes when you do that. You get drunk spiritually. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. Went mad. What does that word mean in the original Hebrew? Let's go and find out. You know, I, I don't like when when I, when I preach and people just don't believe the scriptures. And I know that God doesn't like it either. And it just hurts me, and it just makes me feel sad, you know. But that's the way God prophesied that would happen, and there's nothing I can do other than just preach the words and hope that some people wake up from their drunkenness. That's all I can do. That's really all I can do. That word mad in the original Hebrew is halal. It means to boast, to be foolish, to celebrate. That's a perfect description of the average American. So, we party hardy. We do all kinds of stuff that will cause us not to be able to think properly. Hosea. Just like I, I, I think I mentioned last week on Pierce Morgan, which is the replacement for Larry King, it had this guy that was in this movie, a biblical movie. Yeah, there are some biblical movies that you can look at, folks. And uh, he... Pierce tried to make this guy feel ashamed that he uh, was against homosexuality, which God is against homosexuality. It's pretty plain in the Bible. I've, I've, I've talked about this many times, and and my purpose is, is not to bash gays or lesbians. It's just to preach the truth and hope that you gays and lesbians repent, if, if any of you are listening to me. Uh, the purpose of uh, encouraging someone to repent is not to act like you're perfect and you're going to go to hell. I mean, that's not that's not the purpose of it. You should be gentle and just state the facts. And it's up to the individual to accept those facts or else, yeah, you will be thrown on a lake of fire. But it's not going to be me. 
it's going to be God doing it. You know, my job is not to throw you in a lake of fire. My job is to warn you so that you won't be thrown in a lake of fire by him, not me. So, uh, but anyway, the point of the matter is uh, you don't need the Bible to understand this, and I'm going to say some simple things about homosexuality. Uh, in the beginning, God did not create two men to have sex with each other, and he did not create two women to have sex with each other. It's uh, simple. Uh, you just read Genesis chapter 2. He created um, a man, and then he created a woman from the rib of a man, which is interesting. And they procreated, and they had sex with each other. Now, common sense should tell you that two men can't uh, produce a baby. Uh, two women can't produce a baby. The woman has an ovum, which is an egg. And the man uh, produces a sperm. The sperm goes into the ovum and it creates an embryo. The embryo is a human being, despite what Obama and everyone else wants you to believe. President Obama. So that should be common sense to you. I don't hear anyone when they talk about that homosexuality is not right, and it is a sin. I don't hear them using that logic. But I tell you, if someone invited me to speak on CNN, I would use that logic. Because it's irrefutable logic. And they can't refute that. The fact that a sperm, two sperms, or two ovums can't produce a human being. So that right there should tell you, should tell you rather, that homosexuality is wrong, 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 and doesn't make any sense. Matter of fact, he calls it an abomination. For good reason. So, anyway, he was trying to make this guy feel ashamed. That he believed it. Then he said, well, what would you tell your son if if uh, he was gay? He said, hey, I'm gay. And Pierce said, well, what I would do, I would say, hey, well, if that, if that makes you happy, then, uh, you know, that's great. And see, that's deceptive because being gay is not going to make you happy overall. According to God's word, it's an abomination. It's not going to make you happy. So, AIDS has come from homosexuality despite what some people have tried to deceive you into thinking otherwise. AIDS is linked with homosexuality particularly male homosexuality. So that's the fecal matter going up the anus. Okay? And that causes a breakdown of the immune system whenever you put waste in your system like that. So whether or not they use condoms or not, well, if they use condoms, then the, the likelihood of that won't happen, of course, but unless they bust. But the thing is, it's still going to cause some mental damage as well, being a homosexual. So, and then, you know, the, the military used to say that it was a mental illness. And they took it out. So that's how much we have changed. But anyway, I've been just pointing out that God states that when you're in this Babylonian or confused system, that's what Babylon means, confusion. And this confusion system 
for many years has consisted of our government, our educational system, our religions. That's what it consists of. It's all false or has some elements of um, being uh, not true in the system. And he wants us to come out of that, as he states here in Revelation chapter 18. And this can be interpreted physically or spiritually. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, particularly for those who are living at this time, he's going to tell you physically to get out of it. You know, just get away from it. Get away from any instances of it in society. Get away from it. That's what he's talking about. Revelation 18, verse 4. Actually, let me uh, start with verse 1. I love this. I love this chapter. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully I'm still alive when this actually does happen. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is confusion the great, you might as well say. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, when it's talking about sexual immorality in this case, it's talking about spiritual sexual immorality, uh, worshiping other false systems, including religion, being brainwashed by religion and educational and governmental false systems. And the kings of this earth have committed immorality with her. With who? Well, the confusion of education, religion, and government. That's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. You know, God just tells us plainly in these scriptures, folks, that we're living in a deceived world, a world that many people think they're living the right way, and they are not living the right way. I can tell you with authority from the scriptures and using common sense that we're not living the right way. I just described to you the true definition of peace. And the world does not have peace that way. And you know it. So it states here, And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants, so it describes the elite of today, the chief, uh, not the chief, the Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, all other governments around the world, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, all these, all these organizations are cloaked for the devil. He's working in all these organizations. And God allows it. But God does his will through these organizations as well. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Number four. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of this religious false system, the educational false system of this world, the governmental false systems. That not you take part in her sins, that not you share in her plagues, for her sins have heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So we've got to, to stop thinking that this world is something that God approves. God does not approve of this world, folks. 
He doesn't. Let's turn to First John. It's a mess. It's a mess. First John chapter two. Verse fifteen. And I'm gonna show you the cause of wars. It's a definition of why there's wars. First John chapter two, verse fifteen. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. It's not saying you don't love the people. That's what Yeshua did. He died because he loved mankind. But it's saying don't love society, the wickedness of society, how people behave. That's not what. That's what it's talking about. That's the kind of world we should not love. How people behave negatively. The false systems of this world. The false. There's there's true education, but there's also false education. We shouldn't love the false education. We shouldn't love the false religion, and we shouldn't love the, the things that are false in government. We shouldn't love the behavior of politicians that lie to us, of ministers that lie to us, of teachers that lie to us. We shouldn't love that behavior. That's what God is talking about. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you understand that? If you continue to embrace American Idol to the point of forgetting about God, if you continue to embrace your favorite sports team and forget about God, if you continue to embrace your favorite food and forget about God and get fat, if you continue to forsake taking care of your body and forget about God, I can go on and on and on. If you continue to look at five or six hours of television and forget about God, then the love of the Father is not in you. The, the love of the Father is not in you. That's what the Scripture says. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. What's the desires of the flesh? Well, let me give you some examples of what the desires of the flesh can be. Pornography. That, that That's number one on the list for most Americans, particularly men. I think women are catching up in that area, though. How someone looks. How sex feels. That's the desires of the flesh. There's nothing wrong with sex, folks. But there's something wrong when you have sex outside of marriage. There's something wrong when you look at pornography. Is something wrong when you commit adultery? Is something wrong when you do uh, commit homosexuality acts? Is something wrong when you have sex with an animal? Okay, all that is in Leviticus chapter eighteen. All sexual abominations, and that's the the wrong desires of the flesh. That's what it's talking about: the wrong desires of the flesh, the wrong desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions. And I tell you, Americans especially have pride in their possessions. And when I go visit people's homes, that's one of the first things that the men do. They show me what they got. They go to their whole house and show me what they got. They got great pride in their possession. And hold your place here. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. I'm put down in my own family because I don't have nothing. As Christ predicted, a Torah teacher would not have anything, you know, uh, no great possessions. I have possessions, but I don't, they're not great. 
But you know what? Neither did Yeshua. Yeshua didn't have great possessions. Neither did his, uh, neither did his um, followers. Very few of them did. Luke chapter 12. Verse 13. This is one of my favorite parables, and I'm going to read it. And I hope I hope you learn something from it. It's from the master's mouth himself. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this is talking about possessions, right? In verse 14, but he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Verse 15, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that's what the way of the world is, folks, about what you got. What you got. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And you can interpret this today as your bank accounts. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns or bank accounts and build larger bank accounts, okay? And there I will store all my grain and my goods or money. And I will say to my soul, soul or life, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and drink merry. And that's the way people today think of retirement. Where in the Bible does God say at a specific age you retire? Do you see that anywhere in the Bible? You know, that is something, again, that the devil has cleverly devised to encourage Americans and on any other people to not work, which is a form of laziness. But I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God says at a specific age you retire and do nothing, as this person is going to do, or is doing here, the rich fool. He says, uh, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What a boring life. You just sit there eating and drinking and being merry and doing nothing. I can't picture doing that. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool. And he calls people a fool that act like this. And that's God doing it, not me. So don't jump down my throat saying, and saying I'm calling you a fool. You know, God is calling any of us a fool when we act this way. All right? It says, fool, this, this night your soul or your life is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up measure for himself, or treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. How are you rich toward God? By giving to other people. That's what Matthew chapter 25 explains. Uh, I was hungry and you fed me, etc. Right? Well, you, if you did it to them, you did it to me. So when you give to people, you're giving to God. Okay? So that's something that, you know, I, I hope that, you understand and, and, and you take serious here. And let's turn back to John chapter 2. So the, you understand what the pride and possessions is. I, I read that uh, parable in, in Luke, so you can understand what that is. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world or from society. And this society is passing away. It's passing away. God does not approve of this society, of the way we're living, along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God, what's the will of God? To obey his commandments abides forever. 
That's what the focus should be on, folks. In Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16. Beginning in verse 19. This is a prophecy. This is future history. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say... Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies. That means the majority of what has been taught was mixed with lies from our past families. I know if I tell my parents, they get offended by this, but it's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth, and I feel bad that they'll get offended by it, but that's the truth. The scriptures say this. Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies. Who are you going to believe? Worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods, such are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is Yahweh. Yehovah. We haven't figured out how to pronounce his name properly, but it's the tetragrammaton here. The word Lord should be translated Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. And this prophecy has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled, because people do, are trying to figure out his true name. I just told it to you. So, it's, it's some troubling times here. It really is some troubling times here. You have a president, you know, I, I, I like Obama. You know, I like, he has some good traits about him. But, the thing that I don't like about, as far as the way he thinks, his attitude about abortion and his attitude about homosexuality, those are two big, <laughs> two big, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the right word here, two big um, character flaws, I would say, that I don't respect and I'm sure God doesn't respect either. He's not for abortions. And he certainly isn't for um, homosexuality. And I'm not for, you know, loans is not necessarily bad, but the way we're spending money is ridiculous. I wouldn't need to be an accountant to know that we're we're not being responsible spending the kind of money that we're spending. And then we're trying to police the world. I don't see in the Bible where... Israel polices the world. Do you see that? You know, they're, they're policing the world all over the place, the United States military. And a lot of people think, and I can understand why they're doing it, they're trying to protect protect their, their interests in, in terms of helping this country, in particular oil. We have a presence in the Middle East, in Iraq, and we want to protect the oil because we we, we want our modern technology, and oil has a lot to do with that. Uh, Purim was celebrated um, Thursday and Friday, for those who understand that you should do it. And and uh, Purim, as I stated last week, is really a story about 
Persia, which is modern-day Iran today, and Persia's hatred toward the Jews, which they still have to this day. And they want to annihilate them, just like uh, Ahmadinejad said he wants to to uh, destroy Israel off the face of the earth is some kind of derogatory statement that he stated that's similar to what Psalm 83 talks about. And we're just living in very dangerous times, folks, and and I'm going to prove that to you here. Uh, For me to really prove this to you, I believe, in in its totality and in in its simplest fashion, I'm going to talk about something that most people don't want to talk about. Okay. Um, the nuclear bomb. I think talking about the nuclear bomb really should convince you that we're in the end times, folks. The time of the coming of the Messiah. Now, I don't know when he's coming, folks. No one knows. He doesn't know. But he stated in Matthew chapter 24, when you see all these things, know that is near, even at the doors. Okay, so social conditions has something to do with identifying the end time. But also, our capability of being being able to destroy ourselves is also a condition. And let's all turn to this major prophecy so that you understand what I'm talking about here. In Matthew chapter 24. Because most people don't understand this. And I'm going to try to break it down so that the little child can understand. Matthew chapter 24, because he did state in Matthew chapter 18, we must become as little children. But actually, let me turn it before I turn to this. You have to become as little children. Little children, most little children, unless they're little brats, uh, are willing to learn. Okay? Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the middle of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, in what way are we to become like children? In verse 4, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So he's talking about people that are humble like a child. If you receive them, I try to be humble as a child. So if you receive me, he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So if I'm preaching the truth, humble like a child, you should receive me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And this is interesting. So it's talking about a believer like myself. If someone causes me to sin, it says it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's pretty serious, folks. That's serious. That's some serious stuff there. Um, But all I'm saying is, the point of what I'm trying to make is that you need to be humble as a little child and be willing to listen. 
to me or someone else is making sense and proving that they're making sense out of the scriptures. And if you're not willing to, if you think you know everything, can't be told nothing, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about and you're not going to understand the scriptures. No one knows everything about everything. Certainly the Bible, that's for sure. I've been studying the Bible for how many years now? I'm, I'm 46 years old today. So I've been studying the Bible since I was 18 years old. So I've been studying the Bible for 28 years. And I still am learning new things out of the Bible. It's the greatest book on the planet Earth, but the least respected, unfortunately. And it's not really taken seriously, as it should be. Anyway, Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 22. 21, rather. Matthew 24, verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation. Now, there's only three places in the entire Bible where the word great tribulation is uh, revealed or written. And this is one of them. Tribulation, I just read the scripture to you for a reason about through great tribu- uh, tr- much tribulation into the kingdom of God. He's saying that the, the period of, of, of the end time is, is full of tribulation. But really, there's been tribulation since the first century. And it's been tribulation since Cain killed Abel. So all believers have gone through tribulation, folks. He's just saying there's going to be a time where it's going to be the greatest tribulation ever in the history of mankind. And verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not, and has not been from the beginning of the world, until now, nor, nor never shall be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being will be saved. Okay? So, in the remaining, well, I do have plenty of time here. I can go over if I want. It's just that I'm going to be cut off in 49 minutes. But, this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to break this down as simple as I can about where we're at here in future history and current history. And Wikipedia, if you go to Wikipedia and look up war, okay, and you look at the, um, they have a list of the ten largest wars by death toll, okay. And I'm reading this here in the uh, section here. It says the ten largest wars by death toll. It says three of the ten most costly wars in terms of loss of life has been waged in the last century. Now that's a that's a key sentence there. Three of the ten most costly wars in terms of loss of life have been waged in the last century. This is uh, the Wikipedia article wars. These are, of course, the two world wars, then followed by the Second Sino-Japanese War, which is sometimes considered part of World War II, or overlapping with that war. Most of the others involve China or neighboring peoples. The death toll of World War II, being 60 million plus, surpasses all other war death tolls by a factor of two. This may be due to significant recent advances in weapons technologies, as well as recent increases in overall human population. And see, that's the key, too, to understanding this uh, 
are we living in the end time scenario, the population of the world in the first century was just 200 million people, folks. Our population right now is 7 billion people. All right, and World War II, the number of people that were killed, 60 to 72 million people. That's a lot of people. And let me just list the 10 largest wars here. The At the bottom, I'm, I'm going to read it all the way. But, yeah, I'll just read it from uh, the top all the way to the bottom. Uh, World War II, 60 million to 72 million people. 36 million people died. The um, Anshai Rebellion, China, 755 to 763. That's way, way, way back. <laughs> then 30 million to 60 million, the Mongol conquest of the 13th century. 25 million, the the, the, the Qing uh, dynasty, the Ming dynasty, 1616 to 1662. 20 million people, World War One. 20 million people, the Taping Rebellion in China. 20 million the Second Sino-Japanese War. This is interesting. A lot of these wars have something to do with China. Uh, 8 million to 12 million, the Dungan Revolt in China. That's in 1862 to 1877. The Second Sino-Japanese War was 1937 and 1945. The Taping Rebellion in China, 1850 to 1864. Uh, 7 million to 20 million people. Uh, the Conquest of Tabor Lane, that's 1370 to 1405. And 5 million to 9 million, the Russian Civil War and Foreign Intervention, uh, 1917 to 1922. So, the again, it says three of the ten most costly wars in terms of loss of life have been waged in the last century, which gives you a clue that uh, the timing of the end it, it, it helps you to understand that we're living in the end times. Okay, to understand that. So, this verse here, uh, I read this to you about in verse 22, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. So he's saying that humankind would get to the point of where we would be able to destroy ourselves. Now, even in World War II, that was not possible until the invention, the invention of the atomic bomb, which was used on August 6th of 1945. It was called Little Boy. And Little Boy became a big boy that day and uh, was detonated over uh, Hiroshima. And then later on, Nagasaki, I don't think they called it Little Boy, they called it another name that they used to destroy or, or make significant damage to Nagasaki. But anyway, Matthew 24, verse 21 to 22 gives you information to help you determine if we're living in the end times or not. Okay? Another key scripture, when you turn to Revelation, Revelation, chapter chapter 9 verse 16 it tells you the number of that particular army and <clears throat> let me see if I can read this in an easier version of the Bible here 
Revelation 9, verse 16. Yeah, in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, and the number of Calvary soldiers was 200 million. I heard the number. So that's a key verse because, like I stated, in the first century, the population of the entire world was just 200 million. So this definitely has to be talking about the times we're living in today. Because China, I think their military, look at their China military here. And the, uh, I think it's up to 200 million. Let me verify that here. China military. And it's interesting that a lot of military um, combats, the, the greatest ones anyway, were in the, in the uh, China region, which is pretty interesting in itself. It's called the People's Liberation Army. And let me see how many of those are. Should... Um, Okay, so the, the okay we're talking about the manpower. The manpower of the Chinese military is three hundred eighty-five million eight hundred twenty-one thousand one hundred one males. So that's their total manpower. Okay, and uh, fit for military is three hundred eighteen million two hundred sixty-five sixteen males. And then uh, if you can compare that to the U.S. military. So those who are available for service for the U.S. military is just 73,270,043 males. <laughs> so that's that's a big difference. But the point of the matter is, you know, and I showed you all the, the death and destruction that occurred of the ten greatest uh, military battles in world history. Uh, just based on the numbers, that should show you that we're living in the end times, okay, based on that scripture. Because we didn't have a military back in World War II that will fulfill the scripture in Revelation 9, verse 16, of 200 million soldiers, as we do today, with our population of 7 billion people. So right there, that should tell you something about the fact that we're living in the end times. Now, I read to you about the doomsday clock, but before I even do that, I'm going to read a section in this book that I'm, I'm sure that it would be difficult for most people to read. It's called The uh, the Fate of the Earth by Jonathan Shell, The Abolition. And on page um, 11 of this book, I'm going to read this to you. In view, on page 11, in view of the scientific background, President Harry Truman was speaking to the point when, in his announcement that the United States had dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, this happened back in August 6, 1945, he told the world that the basic power of the universe, the basic power of the universe, had been harnessed for war by the United States and added that the force from which the sun draws its powers 
has been loose against those who brought war to the Far East. The huge, the monstrous disproportion between the basic power of the universe and the merely terrestrial creatures by which and against which it was aimed and angered to find the dread predicament that the world has tried and failed to come to terms with ever since. So anyway, that's what our president stated as far as the, the power of the universe. That happened back in August 6, 1945. Now, I read this to you last week. I'm going to read it to you again. Uh, the doomsday clock. What was the purpose of the doomsday clock? Well, this is in Wikipedia, doomsday clock. The doomsday clock is a symbolic clock face maintained since 1947, so that was two years after the one of the most significant historical events in the history of mankind, uh, maintained since 1947 by the board of directors of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists at the University of Chicago. By the way, I used to live in Chicago. The closer the clock is to midnight, the closer the world is estimated to be, to be wait a minute, the closer the clock is to midnight, the closer the world is estimated to be to global disaster. I need to change that words, those words there. The closer the clock is to midnight, the closer the world is estimated to global disaster. Should write Wikipedia to, to modify that sentence. Anyway, so anyway, the closer the world is to midnight, the closer we are to global disaster or destruction. That's what it's saying. This was initiated in 1947, just two years after the first dropping of an atomic bomb over a country or a land area. It says the most recently, or the most recent officially announced setting, the five minutes to midnight, 11:55 p.m., was made on January 10, 2012, reflecting international events dangerous to humankind. The clock's hands have been adjusted 20 times since its inception in 1947. When the clock was initially set to seven minutes to midnight, 11:53 p.m. So that tells you right there that scripture was not possible that Christ talked about. It was not possible to fulfill that scripture until 1945. That's how you can tell that we are now in the end times. That's the simplest way that I can explain it, folks. That's the simplest way I can explain it. I'm using the brain that God gave me. I'm using common sense. I'm using historical references, secular or outside of religion, references to prove to you that ever since 1945, we have been living in the end times. The time of the end, one of the major characteristics is that we are capable of global destruction which Christ talked about. Let's look at that scripture again. In Matthew chapter 24, we're living in, a, in an era now where it's possible to have a 200, 200 million man army. I just proved to you that Japan is capable of a 300 million man army. In the United States, we just have 72 million people ready for combat. They have over 300 million. And I just read to you that, interestingly, a lot of the, the ten major wars have occurred in the China area, which is pretty interesting as well. Anyway, 
Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 again. Let's read it again. For then there will be great tribulation or great troubles and sorrows, such as not has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no ever shall be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. This in the context of a nuclear war, folks, because let's turn to let's turn to Daniel. Daniel. Chapter seven. Daniel chapter 7. Verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, which is talking about this Babylon, this end time Babylon, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, full of religious deception, education, deception, and governmental deception, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, devour the whole earth what weapon do we have to devour the whole earth today and trample it down and break it into pieces now I was looking the other night in preparation to this Bible study to have the proper mindset I was looking at what I I suggest you start looking at folks because if you're still alive up into the day of Christ no doubt you're going to be experiencing nuclear bomb devastation Um, the day after look at that the day after to give you an idea of what you're going to be going through. Now, of course, you want to be going through that being a believer, and God will help you. Um, I'm going to turn to a scripture that, that proves that, but you're still going to be going through some tough times. So anyway, just devour the whole earth and, and trample down and break it in pieces, this military... Um, great military, the world's greatest military ever in the history of the world, they will no doubt use nuclear bombs. But I don't know of any other weapons. Uh, do you, uh, wife, know any other weapons that we could use to devour the whole earth and trample down and break into pieces? They can't refer to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire <laughs> could not trample the, uh, the, devour the whole earth and trample down and break it into pieces. It was only a population of 200 million. So we have to understand that we're definitely living, folks, in the end times here, just just based on that one scripture alone and, and, and all these other facts that I'm giving you. Um, now, this is, um, let me read to you why they moved the clock two more minutes. I, I didn't understand why they moved it to six minutes, you know, but it uh, didn't make any sense to me. But anyway, this is off the Doomsday Clock website. The Doomsday Clock Overview says the Doomsday Clock conveys how close humanity is to catastrophic destruction. And that's what Jesus Christ talked about, right? In Matthew 24, catastrophic destruction, right? The the figurative midnight. So I hope you're understanding here that I've proved to you in the simplest of ways that we're in the end time. Does it make sense? Okay, all right. The doomsday clock conveys how close humanity is to catastrophic destruction, the figurative midnight, and monitors the means humankind could use to obliterate itself. That's what Christ talked about. First and foremost, these include nuclear weapons, but they also encompass climate-changing technologies and new developments in the life sciences that can inflict irrevocable harm. I'm going to go over each and every one of these, okay? 
so that you understand, folks. I want you to pass this message, because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to, to speak like this. So it's a miracle that I'm able to do what I'm doing now. So you need to share this to other people so that this message will wake people up and wake them up to start obeying the Lord God. Now, let me read this to you so that you understand that if you obey God, even in a nuclear fallout situation, he promises to to uh, to help you get through it, okay? And Psalm, chapter 91, verse 1. I'm going to read this whole... Well, actually, well, no, I don't want to do that. I'll just go ahead and read it. Psalm, chapter 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. Now, you know, if you looked at the day after, you'll see that pestilence or disease will be just all over the place because people will be suffering from radioactive fallout, which eats you alive. But God says this, for those who believe in him and obey him. For he will deliver you from the snare of the flower and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday, which is pretty interesting, right? The destruction that wastes at noonday. What is the doomsday clock about? What happens at noonday, right? At midnight? Not, I guess not midday, but midnight. It still has something to do with 12 o'clock. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, or, the, or, or what's going to come back to the wicked. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. He's your true place of safety. The Most High, who's my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up that not you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. If you know God's name, that means you obey him. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. with long. Now, he doesn't tell you how, folks, but he says he's going to do it. With long life, he can rescue you by allowing you to mercifully die and not have to go through radioactive fallout. Okay? I don't know. He's very innovative. Okay? <laughs> he has many different ways that he does things, and I respect that. I'm, at least I'm learning how to respect it. All right? So it says, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There we go. Salvation. Salvation can come to you by death. Okay? So so let me read this to you. I, I, I wanted to read that to you first before I get into this because it's kind of frightening. But anyway, nuclear. There's three areas. Nuclear. The nuclear age dawned in the 1940s when scientists learned how to release the energy stored within the atom. Immediately they thought of two potential uses, an unparalleled weapon and a new energy source. 
the United States built the first atomic bombs during World War II, which they used on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in August of 1945. Within two decades, 20 years, Britain, the Soviet Union, China, France had also established nuclear weapon programs. Since then, Israel, India, Pakistan, and North Korea have built nuclear weapons as well. For most of the Cold War, over overt hostility between the United Nations, or the United States rather, the United States and the Soviet Union, coupled with their enormous nuclear arsenals, defined a nuclear threat. The, use, the United States arsenal peaked at about 30,000 warheads in the mid-1960s and the Soviet arsenal at 40,000 warheads in the 1980s, dwarfing all other nuclear weapon states. The scenario for nuclear holocaust was simple. Heightened tensions between the two jittery superpowers would lead to an all-out nuclear exchange. Today, the potential for an accidental or inadvertent nuclear exchange between the United States and Russia remains, with both countries maintaining more than 1,000 warheads on high alert, ready to launch within tens of minutes. Within tens of minutes. Most people don't know this. Most people don't know that the United States and Russia have 1,000 warheads pointed at each other right now. Okay? And it can happen at any time. And God is miraculously holding this up. It's a miracle. As erroneous as we are as, as a human race, that we have not destroyed ourselves yet, is a miracle. Again, let me repeat this. Today, the potential for an accidental or inadvertent nuclear exchange between the United States and Russia remains, with both countries maintaining more than 1,000 warheads on high alert, ready to launch within tens of minutes, even though a deliberate attack by Russia or the United States on, other, on the other seems improbable. Unfortunately, however, in a globalized world with national borders, rapid communication, and expanding commerce, and dual-use technologies, nuclear know-how and materials travel more widely and easily than before, raising the possibility that terrorists could obtain such materials and cruelly construct a nuclear device of their own. The materials necessary to construct a bomb pervade the world in part due to programs initiated by the United States and the Soviet Union to spread civilian nuclear power technology and research reactors during the Cold War. As a result, according to the International Panel on Fissile Materials, substantial quantities of highly enriched uranium. What's this situation in Iran about? It's about enriched uranium. One of the materials necessary for a bomb remain in more than 40 non-weapon states. Save for Antarctica, every continent contains at least one country with civilian highly enriched uranium. Even with the improvement of nuclear reactor design and international controls provided by the International Atomic Energy Agency, i.e. IAEA, the proliferation concerns persist. As the proponents or components and infrastructure for a civilian nuclear power program can also be used to construct nuclear weapons. This is serious, folks. Much of the recent discussions focuses on Iran and its pursuit of civilian nuclear power capability, but Mohammed El Baridi, I guess, the IAEA Director General estimates that another 20 to 30 countries possess the capabilities, if not the attempt, to pursue the
the bomb. Meanwhile, the original nuclear weapon states, in particular Britain, France, Russia, and the United States, continued to modernize their nuclear arsenals with little effort to relinquish these weapons. All of which leads many to believe that the world is embarking on a second nuclear age. Folks, if after reading that you still think we're not in the end times, you don't have a brain. You seriously don't need a brain. I mean, we all need our brains, but you need to go see a doctor. Okay? Uh, I'm trying to make this as plain as I can, folks. And if we didn't have nuclear bombs to be concerned about, we have the following, folks. Again, I just hope and I encourage you to, to pass this message on the other people, to wake them up, folks. Okay? It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Stop sleeping. Stop being drunk. Okay? Uh, climate change. Fossil fuel technologies such as coal-burning plants power the Industrial Revolution, bringing unparalleled economic prosperity to many parts of the world. But in the 1950s, scientists began measuring year-to-year changes in the carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere that they can relate to fossil fuel combustion, and they began to see the implications for Earth's temperature and for climate change. Today, the concentration of carbon dioxide is, is higher than any time during the last 650,000 years. These gases warm the Earth's continents and oceans by acting like a giant blanket that keeps the sun's heat from leaving the atmosphere, melting ice and triggering a number of ecological changes that causes an increase in global temperature. Even if carbon dioxide emissions were to cease immediately, the extra gases already added to the atmosphere, which linger for centuries, will continue to raise sea level and change other characteristics of the earth for hundreds of years. So the Bible predicts in Isaiah chapter 24 we're tearing up our environment, and this proves it. The most authoritative scientific group on the issue, I know people have their different opinions, but let's understand something. If you go to score.org, you'll look at all the chemicals and toxic materials that are in the atmosphere in your local area. If you if you go to score, S-C-O-R-E dot org, type in your zip code area, and you'll be surprised at all the dangerous and toxic chemicals that are in the air that you are breathing right now. That you are breathing right now, folks. Anyway. The most authoritative scientific group on the issue, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, suggests that warming on the order of 2 to 10 degrees Fahrenheit over the next 100 years is the distinct possibility if the industrialized world does not or doesn't curb its carbon dioxide emissions habits. So I'm not going to read all the rest of this, but I think you get the picture of what I'm talking about here. Uh, let me read this, though. It says, Inland, the IPCC predicts that another century of temperature increases could place severe stresses on forests, Alpine regions and other ecosystems threaten human health as mosquitoes and other disease-carrying insects and rodents spread lethal viruses and bacteria over large geographical regions and harm agricultural efforts by reducing rainfall in many food-producing areas, while at the same time increasing flooding and others, any of which could contribute to mass migrations and wars over land, water, and other natural resources. Biosecurity. Advances in genetics and biology over the last five decades have inspired a host of new possibilities, both positive and troubling. With greater understanding of genetic material and of how um, psychological systems interact, biologists can fight disease better and improve overall human health. That's the good news of it. Scientists already have begun to develop 
bioengineered vaccines for common diseases such as fever and certain forms of hepatitis. They are using these tools to develop other innovative medical solutions. But along with their potential benefits, these technological advances raise the possibility that individuals or non-state actors could create dangerous known or novel pathogens. Additionally, researchers with the best intentions could inadvertently create novel pathogens that could harm humans or other species. For example, in 2001, researchers in Australia reported that they had accidentally created a new strain of the mousepox virus while attempting to genetically engineer a more effective rodent control method. Unlike the biological weapons of the last century, these new tools could create a limitless variety of threats, from new types of non-lethal agents to viruses that sterilize their host to others that incapacitate whole systems within an organism. The wide availability of bioengineering knowledge and tools, along with the, with the ease with which individuals can obtain specific fragments of genetic material, some can be ordered through the mail or over the Internet, which is incredible, uh, could allow these capabilities to find their way into unspecified hands or even those of backward backyard hobbyists. Such potential dangers are forcing scientists, institutions, and industry to develop self-governing mechanisms to prevent misuse. But developing a system to ensure the safe use of bioengineering without impeding beneficial research and development could pose the greatest international science and security challenge during the next 50 years. Okay, folks, so that's the there's three main areas here. There's um, nuclear, climate change, and biosecurity. Those are the three that could, actually nuclear bombs in itself can destroy mankind, but those, those other two as well. And let's turn to Isaiah chapter 24 to understand this. Isaiah chapter 24. And this is a prophecy from, from the prophet Isaiah. 24 verse 1 Behold the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants and it shall be as with the people so with the priests as with the slaves so with his master as with the maid so with her mistress as with the buyer so with the seller as with the lender so with the bower as with the creditor so with the debtor so no one will escape this devastation verse 3 this is global Destruction. This is the type of destruction that Yeshua talked about in Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 to 22. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. Verse 4. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people of the earth languish. In other words, the richest people of the earth. Verse 5. The earth lies defiled or in a state of decay under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Verse 6, Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. And that's what's going to happen unless we repent collectively as a human race and start to obey God, as Jeremiah 18, verse 7 says, must be done. Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah chapter 18. I think I'll go over Matthew chapter 24 next week. I'm not going to have enough time, and I have to eat here. I didn't eat anything. 
first of all, I have to to, to focus on the spiritual food for I focus on the spirit, physical. But anyway, Jeremiah 18, verse 7. It says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, how do you turn from evil? Well, you start to obey the commandments of God. I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Okay? So there is hope that that happens, folks, but so far I, I don't see any indication at all in a great way that we collectively as a human race are in a repentant attitude. Right now, Israel is contemplating attacking Iran. The United States is contemplating attacking Syria. There's war going on, as I'm speaking. Uh, the current wars that are going on right now, according to this Wikipedia article, let me find it here, list of ongoing wars. We have a total of ongoing wars right now. One, two, three, four, see, one, one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine, nine wars that are going on right now. That's the ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten wars. And the most current war that's going on right now is the 2011 Syrian uprising. And it says cumulative fatalities right now. It says 3,000 is a lot more than that. So this article needs to be updated. So, you know, we, we've been warring ever since Cain and Abel, folks. And uh, we this is a problem. What's the origin of wars for folks? Let's, let's turn to James chapter 4 to find out. James chapter 4. Verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your your lusts and passions. And in verse 4, this is to be understood in a spiritual sense, you adulterous people, just like, Babylon, the people who follow Babylon commit sexual immorality, right? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Okay, so that's the the uh, sexual immorality or adultery that he's talking about. Adultery can be understood as physical adultery as well as spiritual, as having sex spiritually with um, false teachings and, and false methods of behavior. And I just read to you in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, that he doesn't want us to love the world, meaning the the evil things that are done, that people do. We're not supposed to love that. So he says, uh, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. <laughs> so you don't want to do that, and that's in the context of war. And that's why we have war. Because war is caused by someone being an enemy of God. Okay, one uh, or the other, or it could be both, depending, is an enemy of God. All war is not bad. Sometimes you have to defend yourself, okay? But one of the people that are warring is warring because they're an enemy of God. That's the, Or it could be both. 
enemies of God. It can be two wicked people fighting among each other. Or it can be a righteous uh, group and and an unrighteous group fighting. So anyway, the purpose of this Bible study was to explain to you that we are definitely living in the end times, folks. And next week I'm going to go over, I wanted to do it, but you know, time is running out here and I'm getting hungry. Um, I want to go over Matthew chapter 24 in detail, in a way that I think I've never gone over before, so that you'll understand what it's talking about, okay? Because you really need to understand not just the fact that we are in the end times, but like I said, your end time can come any time. And you need to understand that you need to always be ready to to die, ready for your time of end. So may the eternal Elohim or God bless you and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 